0: I would never call myself an activist in that sense, um, in the sense that my labor is not put towards the like literal activist struggles. I think there are people that are doing that. And too often artists kind of claim they're doing that. And it's like, you're not really an activist. You might be an advocate for certain things, but like I, I would never claim to be an activist.
1: The Goethe Institute London and Somerset House Studios are collaborating to establish a new international artist residency program to support Germany-based artists working at the intersection of music, art, and technology. For the inaugural edition that started in October 2021, we invited Berlin-based but Texas-born DJ, writer, and performer, Juliana Huxtable for the residency. You're listening to Talking Culture, a future's podcast. Talking Culture is a platform for thought-provoking discussions about the future of the UK, Europe, and the rest of the world. Using the structures of music as mediums in her multimedia universe, Juliana Huxtable is a DJ and musician first and foremost. Her music utilizes the sounds of technology itself to construct parallel realities to be inhabited and embodied in rhythm and harmonic tableau. Juliana's sets skillfully deploy the notion of sampling and reblogging as DJ strategies. She manages to ecstatically mix an array of influences that frolic at the boundary of genre intuition and experimentation. As an assertion of freedom and an ode to the evolutionary structure of electronic music subcultures, she aspires to the sublime in what can only be described as a witchcraft-like seance behind the decks. On this rather dreary afternoon in London, let's find out more about the colourful influences, visions and thoughts of our resident, Juliana Huxtable. How are you doing on this typically damp day in London? Any exciting gigs coming up this weekend?
0: I am doing well. I'm a little sad to be leaving London, but also I'm excited to get, because I I haven't lived in New York really at this point for almost five years. And so I'm excited to go back to New York eventually. And then this weekend, I'm in Berlin. I'm playing there, assuming that the country doesn't go into lockdown. And then I'm going to Beirut um, for around eight, nine days. I'll be there and I'm gonna play a show there.
1: What inspires your boundary bending sets?
0: I think probably all over, I think I tend to be a curious person or I think of myself as a as a pretty curious person. Um, And so being in other places, I absorb a lot and I seek out a lot wherever I am. And so to a certain degree, my sets are a reflection of just my fleeting interest as I've, you know, let them unfurl or just run freely and so on the one hand it's places that I go, cities that I love influence me a lot, I want to know who's playing, I like going to see live music, I like trying to understand an atmosphere that I'm in or a specific sense of cosmopolitanism that I can tap into and try and understand and bring bring my sort of like perspective and aesthetic and things in conversation with and then At the same time, I think the internet is just this... It's much different. It's not a replacement for experiencing things IRL, but it's a really expansive tool to learn, understand, explore, and just be inquisitive about the world and music and its history. And so...
1: Are you a total digital audio junkie or do you also enjoy dipping into old school style sets from time to time? Um,
0: I, I mean, at root, I'm digital is what, that's the final format for me in the sense that I purchase music and I have music in all different forms um, because there's just so much music that's available in CD, tape, and vinyl that is isn't available digitally at least at this point point. and so i understand that there are worlds of music out there that are unavailable digitally but i like all of my records i've converted i have a record player that can convert things to digital i have a tape player that can convert things to digital i have a cd player that i can attach to my laptop and convert And so if I want a specific song, like there was, there was a, there's like, and there's this kind of made for, I don't know if it was made for TV, I think it was, it seems that way from the somewhat low budget nature of at least the writing and directing, but it's a, it was a film called Bait, like Baby Mother, and it was about kind of Raga culture In Raga culture in London specifically in the 90s, I believe it's like maybe mid 90s that it came out, and the soundtrack is amazing because it's sort of a, the whole premise of the film is that this group of girls who are led by this woman who has like a lot of musical talent and also like aesthetic talent, she's like. I'm an amazing dresser. She's great at doing hair, but is always in the shadow of her superstar Raga MC boyfriend. And so the all of the music is like this amazing kind of like 90s dance hall. Some of it gets a little drum and bass or garage. and But it's all kind of these like women's anthems, like single mother anthems, single women anthems, like fuck your baby daddy anthems. And so... I really wanted to find that, and I searched everywhere, and the only place that I could find it was an online CD seller. Like it, I don't even think this went to vinyl at any point, and so I paid a, a ridiculous amount of money to get the CD, but I don't actually listen to the CD. Like I gave the CD as a gift to my friend who is um, Jamaican because I thought they would like it, but I converted it to Uh, Digital, so that I could have it in my music file. So there's a lot of that. Because I think that for me, ultimately, some people, like, like, their final library form is CDs or tapes or, you know, people have different fetishes. My central fetish is definitely a complete digital library. And I've, like, meticulously maintained a music library since I was probably... I have almost all music that I've, that I've, that I've listened to are downloaded since I was at least 15. Um, I physically have the hard drive from my computer when I was in high school. So I really value like an archival relationship, but my archive is mostly digital. Um.
1: You've played in front of an array of audiences from all over the world, always managing to exceed expectations and keep your audience on their toes. How do crowds in London differ from those in Berlin or in the US?
0: Um, well, I would say, like, it's very city-specific more than country-specific. Berlin, I feel like London, because things are very far, things are very spread out here, and I think people just have to work so much here that it takes a while for crowds to warm up. Like, dance floors aren't something that people spend... I think the the kind of percentage of one's weekly, monthly life in general that is spent on dance floors is less here than it is especially in Berlin. And so there's there's definitely more of a kind of de facto dance floor etiquette that I think people understand in Berlin and New York because... Both of those are cities where, in very different ways, you have people that are committed to life on the dance floor. You know, like some people, it's like, okay, like I love it's like life, like doing some other, some specific activity or they like to like cook or go out to eat or restaurants. But like there's so many people that are really committed and there's so much time available. And they're also both cities that are relatively centralized. So I think that it generates um, a more. Dance floors are their own cultures. And I think in London, that's true, but it's slightly different. It's more a reflection of just like going out or like leisure time or activity that people have. At least this is my reading. Um, I think that. Sometimes in London, I almost like wish that people could work a little bit less and things were a little bit less expensive. So that there could just be more, a little bit more um, of a loose relationship to nightlife. But I really have had a good time here.
1: As a DJ, how important is your aesthetic? And what role do your social media channels play in upholding and expressing your visual language?
0: DJing is almost like, DJing for me is almost like writing is, DJing is to music as writing is to maybe, writing is the root of everything I do is writing before I think of anything else I always think in in language and not just in the sense that we all think in language because thought is language in the sense that like words and and like when I think of like a video that I want to do I think of it in the language of describing the scene it's not like the scene necessarily presents itself to me as something solely visual and so for me DJing I'm sure is related to that on some level but it also is something closer to because it isn't writing it's so different from writing but and so it feels somehow similarly, like, rudimentary, like, the, my relationship to sound and play. And to me, essentially, like, the ex- extended remix, like, that's how I come to understand, like, what I do, where the elements are found and or given, and I'm tweaking, pitch, pitching up or down, filtering, adding, slicing, whatever. And so... Um, it almost is its own generative space, I think, DJing. It's, a, it's, a, it's different than my visual work, which is tied to writing. But, I, like, I'm sure there is some relationship. I don't necessarily know what it is. I think where that becomes a bit more clear is in the music that I make myself is more, is definitely informed by my visual language. Like, even the, the music I've been working on here in London is is from the voice or perspective of, even if not the voice, the central kind of character of, of the release is a character from one of my shows. And so it's there. And, and obviously that's tied to my DJing because it's music. So I almost feel like it's like the, the root structures are like DJing and writing. And then they merge in various ways with the other things that I do are elaborate into the other things that I do.
1: It would be impossible to not mention the pandemic when discussing the recent past and club culture, which was hit very hard. What did the pandemic mean for you?
0: Well, I was in, so I was in Berlin for almost all of all of 2020. Um, I left at the very end of November, I left uh, almost December and First, it was quite stressful, um, you know, in the beginning it felt really extreme, and suddenly I was like, wow, I'm in such a German city, just with the, like, the rules, it was like total shutdown, we can't go anywhere, the parks are closed, the police are in the streets, it was really stressful in the beginning, and I um, questioned whether... I, should, I was like, should I go to the States? But being in the States, I really didn't want to be there. Especially, no, I just knew this was before I had fully blown up in New York. But I was like, this is not going to be good for New York. Um, that city is just too dense. And there's no, there's not enough of a safety net anywhere in the States for this to go over well. Um, and so I didn't want to do that. Um, and so the spring was kind of difficult. like Like April, March and April were difficult and then May started to really get a lot better and the warmer part of spring into the summer of 2020 was really quite beautiful. Um, I spent so much time outside. There was a return really like I, I had I had heard. A lot of cities I think this happened, the relationship to space radically changed. The relationship to space and authority really shifted in in Germany I think what happened was or Berlin let me not say Germany because I can't speak to other German cities for sure Um, but in Berlin you know people were throwing wonderful raves in forests people were doing concerts in their backyards like the lakes turned into these like thriving ecosystems Um, people were throwing like I went to a rave in an abandoned factory and it's not that things don't happen there that often but suddenly when the normal kind of flow of the city and the spaces of the cities were cut off the wealth of green space both within and outside of the city immediately, you know, I felt like I felt like I was living in some fantasy like 90s fantasy or something I was just like I can't imagine that this is so that this is happening like how lucky i am to experience this and it was really it was good that there was no economy like i think i think for ev- for any industry um you know it's really really good when the professionalization uh, the professionalization of an industry is cut short i think that was good that no one is DJing for money. No one is, going, is paying for money. You're literally outside in the middle of nowhere. And so there was a kind of earnestness that people were engaging and a freedom from the kind of economics of nightlife and of just going out that were really freeing. Um, yeah, so that was, that was... And in New York, in the winter when I went to New York, similarly, a different relationship to space... Um, also because of the uprisings, the Black Lives Matter uprisings that had happened. All of Manhattan was empty. I moved to Manhattan. I just, you could do anything. You could go to any park at any hour, go to any street. You could hang out, just like find an ATM, call a bunch of friends. It, it really felt like another era, a new era. But the only memory that I have accessible of like, even that as a possibility is like, older artists, friends and things. So I really felt um, the one positive, one of the few positives of, of that time period was really getting to relate to cities that I love and a new spatial sense.
1: To what degree has the pandemic impacted your following, the gigs you get and your musical approach in general?
0: Um, it, I mean, it definitely all musicians uh, until, This summer of 2021, I felt like it's really hard to think of an industry that was, like, screwed over more than music. It was horrible. Um, I planned my whole year around music. I told my galleries and everyone, I'm not working on visual art this year. I'm working on music. Um, And I'm supporting myself through music. And I had planned my year out according to that. And both my live show and DJing. And to just be, to just hit a hard wall, and now I have no work, I have nothing. And Berlin actually was cute, because the the Berlin, uh, the I don't know what, if it's the, the, the province or the district, but the larger Berlin area and the government specific to Berlin, really encouraged and made resources available. A lot of resources were earmarked for musicians. So even though I, I didn't get my German residency until the very end of my time in Berlin last year, even without German residency, I was able to find support and uh, money through state-sponsored gigs. Um, that was good. It's not really enough to, like... You know, I could buy groceries, I guess, which is which is more than a lot of people had. So I'm thankful for that. But it was really horrible. And it, I also, it really made me understand how so many people see music and see nightlife. It's like, oh, this is leisure. This is where people just go to get fucked up, shake their ass and make out with someone. And, it, and I and I realized, I was like, the larger public has such a gross, crass understanding of what the function of nightlife is. Um, there's different fun, what the functions are. I shouldn't say that there's no singular take, but for a lot of people, this is a necessary sense of community. For me, this is where I work out. I still to take some mushrooms. I dance for hours. It brings me clarity. I physically feel elevated. It's where I find the space to like not have to deal with the pressures of a social reality. You know, the proje- all of the projections that anyone deals with, gender, class, sex, like race, you know, just how you present yourself, like all of the projections that anyone can take on. I love that nightlife provides a space where you can invent yourself you can feel free to like step away from those. It's really important socially, psychologically for, for, for so many people spiritually. And it really bummed me out. And at times, and like really like angered me that people treated it as, as somehow frivolous. Like this is the excess of of society. This is what's necessary. This is what's unnecessary. And even, and I was really shocked where it's like, okay, now we're going to open bars that bars, which are literally just places... Okay, I shouldn't be as reductive, but if we're going on a reductive logic, literally a place where you go to sit and drink alcohol is somehow more culturally or socially necessary than a club. I was flat out insulted by a lot of the policy, um, a lot of the policy making, and frustrated by the idea that nightlife, clubbing, um and live music also was grouped into this too because live music all, uh was policed in the same way that there was that it was inherently irresponsible. And so in an era where people have to behave responsibly, we just we're just not even going to open that cuz that's inherently about irresponsibility. And it really sort of made me realize there's a lot To be done in terms of like understandings of what goes on yes there are people that just want to go get off their tits and just like get wasted and dance sure but a lot of people also aren't coming with that energy you know and these spaces are really important and at the very least I'm thankful for being in Germany where that's at least recognized to a certain degree and the, the period of outside spaces in Berlin was really nice um but generally I I I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder with the with the policies with regards to going out
1: from Ellen Alien to yourself, female DJs have been proving the need and the right for gender equality in the scene for over two decades. Was it or is it still a challenge for you to excel in the very much still male dominated scene?
0: For sure. I mean it's always going to be more d- difficult maybe one day that will change but I don't think in m- m- my lifetime it will, it will will ever receive gender equality um, but it was it it was it's been it, at the very least easier for me than it would have been before because there were people that came before me that had sort of carved out those paths like, when I first started DJing, I dealt with the stuff that every every um every girl DJ deals with where it's like literally guys coming up and be like, "Ooh, are you going to mix?" and like just mocking me. Mm-hmm. I haven't even started DJing and there's a group of men just mocking me in um in the front or, you know, you go up and tell them that you're the DJ and they're like, "Oh, you're the DJ's girlfriend," you know, or something. All of these These little subtle things. um, I think generationally, it's much different. Um, The issues to me now are less... I just feel like I have a much steeper hill to climb than other people. But at least I can climb the hill. I think there was a time where I wouldn't have even been able to, to, to climb it. But I have a much steeper incline in the sense that people... like. You know, there are DJs, there are guys that have come out and objectively worse DJs, objectively just, like, you know what I mean? Like, not getting it going, like, less understanding of what's going on musically, like, not as, like, interesting mixing, whatever. Objectively is probably not the term that I should use that, but, like, most people that are into this would, would understand that. Getting paid more than me right out the bat. You know, I really have, it's getting better now, you know, as like each gig I play, I think I'm just also more at the top of my game now than I was. I'm not new to this at this point. And so, you know, but I still get where people are like, wow, but not like, wow, just that was amazing. I really didn't think you were going to be that good. I hear that so much. Or people have just, you know, I mean, sometimes, it's especially with the Northern Europeans, they're just, like, really have no filter. And so I've had people say things to me like, you know, I really thought that they just, like, you, you know, just hired you because you were, like, checked a bunch of boxes and looked cute, you know, but, like, wow, that was really good. And it's, like, is this supposed to be a compliment or, like, how am I supposed to respond to this? Um but generally, like, do I wake up every day and feel like, oh, woe is me, the battle of the world against me? No, at least not in that sense, I don't. Um, I probably would if I knew how much people I was playing playing with were getting paid. But uh, for the time being, um, I'm just happy that I have a career and can go. And luckily, I have an agent who fights for me.
1: You were invited by our program department to spend some time working in Somerset House Studios and in our residency apartment here at the Institute in South Ken. What has your experience been like working and living in London? Has it ignited a creative spark within you? South Kensington
0: is, is like a very bizarre place because we're living on... It's like living on Park by the Guggenheim in New York or something. It's a very strange very strange place to live, but it's. I think it's. Inter- I think it's really cool in the sense that I would never experience this London in this way. I usually go to like, you know, more expected kind of residential neighborhoods like um, Elephant and Castle or Hackney or Brixton are normally the places that I end up staying. Um, but I love the apartment actually it's like very surreal when I got here I was like we're literally living in the Goethe Institute this is so crazy um but I I loved it actually the apartment is the apartment is nice it's like in between it's like in between an apartment and a hotel which is kind of perfect for doing a short residency because it's like it doesn't overwhelm you with the need to make it like this is a home that you live in. It has enough of the things, but it's nice enough to where you also don't feel like I'm in just like an empty box. So we really took quite well, um, Joe and I to the apartment. Um, and like I did a six week cleanse, like a very strict diet. So I would go to the whole foods and and cook a lot. Um, and at Somerset, they have a really amazing studio. The music studio there is really, is really quite good. Um, and so we really got into a good flow. I worked on things that I've wanted to work on for so long. And so we made a lot of progress with, our, with, the, with the music, for sure.
1: What do you think about the relationship between art and protest? Do you consider yourself to be a very politically active artist?
0: I don't believe that... I believe that everything is as political as it is all of the things in the world. I think, generally speaking, I feel the world works more according to a kind of fractal logic where anything that is of this environment is going to be a reflection of that environment by virtue but cannot be reduced to it and shouldn't be subjected to... I don't think there should be an imperative on art that it have to express its political circumstances any more than it already does by virtue of its existence. Um, And so I am an artist who is, has a lot of um, politics, um, some of them more complicated, some of them more like There are some things I'm very, like, black and white about, some things that are more nuanced, but I don't feel obligated for my art to express that. Um, I think that people are often surprised by the art that I... by artists that I'm into. Like, I I think that transgression has a really important space, and I think if you presume that your art has to represent, like political ideals in a way that's legible as that it really reduces the range of what you can express and I also don't think that's the most effective way of even like deploying a political kind of incentive or goal or something Um, and so I let my art do what it does Um, I'm a person who's very politically engaged who's very who's engaged in political thought, who's engaged in politics itself. I would n- never call myself an activist in that sense, um, in the sense that my labor is not put towards the like literal activist struggles. I think there are people that are doing that. And too often artists kind of claim they're doing that. And it's like, you're not really an activist. You might be an advocate for certain things, but like I, I would never claim to be an activist.
1: You've been listening to the American artist, writer, performer and DJ Juliana Huxable as she expounds on what it's like to perform across cultural hubs such as London, Berlin and New York. Her endlessly exciting career has seen her exhibit in world famous spaces such as the MoMA and the Hayward Gallery. We are glad to share her exclusive insights about her 2021 artist residency split between somerset house studios and the goethe institute london for those of you eager to discover more about juliana and her art history our residency page for her is a great starting point otherwise you can check out her instagram page at juliana hoxable and of course youtube has a library of her recorded sets the goethe institute is the culture center of germany we foster international cultural exchange and enable cultural involvement in over 100 countries worldwide. In London, we offer German courses, cultural programs, events, a fully equipped library, and much more, both in our institute on Exhibition Road and also online. To find out more about the work we do, you can visit our website at www.goethe.de forward London. Through fascinating interviews with thinkers and doers in the arts and culture sector, this show investigates how creative fields are emerging from the tumultuous present into the future. What role will culture play in a post-Brexit, post-pandemic and post-colonial world? We also question how will culture contribute to a future that prioritises sustainability, collaboration, diversity and inclusion? Thanks for listening to Talking Culture, a futures podcast, a production by the Goethe Institute, London.